Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally, voidware prohibited, must be 18 or older to enter, no purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to a very special cross-collaboration podcast for Hit Like a Girl, Parents as Rare, Once Upon a Gene, Simply Unbreakable. I mean, we have some major warriors here. I'm honored to introduce three awesome patient advocacy, caregiver advocacy uh, in the rare disease community folks that joined me for a panel at the annual HITMIC conference this year. The conversation was just so powerful and literally room shaking. We knew we had to follow it up with a proper podcast collaboration to amplify the message and really get it out there about how to incorporate the rare disease community better in healthcare strategy, communication, innovation, and more. Thank you guys for joining me today. Hey, Grace. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Grace. So good to have you all here. So I've been working professionally in healthcare technology communications for a little over a decade, working with the who's who in healthcare, health IT, pharma, and the life sciences to develop their communications plans and help them get it out there. Um, But shortly in 2017, Shortly after having my third child, uh, my husband found me on the bathroom floor and rushed me to the ER. And it started this tremendously hard and traumatic diagnostic odyssey to figure out what in the world was wrong with me. I had tremendous chronic pain. I lost 60 pounds. Um, I had a hard time walking. Um, I had a hard time really just doing day-to-day life. And I had one misdiagnosis after another, one wrong drug after another, one wrong treatment after another. And finally, they found out that I had E. coli poisoning, which is the most insane thing possible. My husband keeps saying he wants to make me a T-shirt. E. coli saved my life (laughs) because literally I could have died if they hadn't figured it out. and it was very easily treatable and very easily discoverable. And who knows when I, I got it, when I had it. But at the end of the day, I realized that I learned a lot from that pain and that experience. Um, and it was that healthcare is not really patient-centered. And that, in fact, the patient-centered world that we're trying to create is impossible without including the patient perspective and the patient voice. And I've made it part of my life mission to really amplify patient and caregiver voices um, in the rare disease community and really any community because 
from those stories, you can learn so much. And, you know, while each gene is unique, all of the folks here today that are going to be telling us their stories share the same experience of what it looks like to miss one single protein from your cells and have it completely turn your life upside down. Um, now, science exists to diagnose and treat these rare diseases earlier and faster than ever, but it takes education, innovation, focus, funding, community, and more to make a meaningful impact, one rare disease at a time. Now, our communities today are big and mighty. <laughs> and what if we join together to make an impact on rare disease? What if we change priorities in the healthcare community and the healthcare market and make rare a higher and more important priority than it's ever been before? Alone, we kick pebbles, but together we move mountains. So thank you so much, guys, for joining us and for your courage to share your stories and wisdom with us today. So let's kick this off right. Christy, let's have you start with sharing uh, with us your personal story and your personal journey with rare disease. How has it inspired the work that you're doing today? Uh, hi, Grace. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to continue this conversation. I think it's such an important one, especially... Um, you know, with it being February, it's Rare Disease Month, we're approaching Rare Disease Day, and I can't think of better human beings to share this conversation with than uh, the people that are on the line today. Um, my journey as a rare disease patient was completely unexpected, and it absolutely rocked my world. Um, I was diagnosed at the age of 37 with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and it is a it's a rare disease. Um, we've had a lot more, <clears throat> excuse me, research and funding um, over the past probably 10 years. Um, so it's come a long way in terms of science, but it is at this point, there is no cure. It is just symptom management. Um, so we've, we have a long way to go. Um, my my journey to diagnosis was bumpy uh, to say the least, so much like you, Um a lot of misdiagnosis and, um, you know, trying um, treatments that failed and, and tests and procedures and um, twists and turns. And it was a, a, a serendipitous um, event that ultimately led me to my diagnosis. And my story is not unique. I, I've heard the same from many, many um, rare patients or caregivers of, of rare kiddos or, or um, family members. The, the way that they get their diagnosis is not our traditional healthcare route. You go to the doctor <clears throat> and you tell them what's wrong and then they tell you what's wrong with you. Um, in my case, and I love that you brought up patient-centered care because if if we actually had a patient-centered healthcare system, it wouldn't have taken me so long to get diagnosed. My condition is genetic. I was born with it. And I had a number of incidents through my childhood and into my young adulthood where um, my disease had shown itself, but nobody knew what to look for. And nobody looked at me holistically as a, an entire person. So we dealt with the crisis 
that that occurred at the time versus, hey, why is this happening? I heard and still hear all the time, we don't see this in people your age. We don't have an explanation for this. It can't be this because that's not how it typically presents. Um, in my instance, my disease impacts my collagen, which collagen is what your body, it's the glue that holds your body together. So um, in for for me, I needed somebody that could look at my entire history and could put the pieces together. So I got my diagnosis by seeing a nutritionist. Um, when everything else had failed, I thought the only thing that I can control is my diet. So what I put into my body, maybe that might help me um, keep myself healthy because no one else had answers for me. Luckily for me, the nutritionist that I saw through my husband's EAP program, her day job was in genetics at a local uh, center. What is the likelihood of that? Oh my goodness. And her geneticist had an interest in Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So I was able to, um, you know, I, I, through a complete lottery win, find the one person who happened to know about my rare condition and work alongside somebody in Canada that had that interest. So, um, you know, I'm grateful every day for that. How has it shaped what I do today? Well, my entire life has changed. And, you know, I'm, I'm acutely aware that when I was diagnosed, uh, the median age for someone with my condition was uh, mid-40s. Um, you know, I've got three kids. My oldest is 15. And that is not acceptable for me. I need to be around for them. I'm, you know, I was 37 when I was diagnosed. I'm 46 years old today. Um, it's a challenge, but I don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. So I need science to catch up. I, I need our communities to continue to advocate. Uh, and I will make that my life's mission. I have made that my life's mission to you know, to continue to help the rare community in any way that I can. And you've also founded a company. What is that? What is yes. the name and what do you do? <laughs> yes. Um, so I founded a company called Chronically Simple. We are a web-based and a mobile app. Um, and it is really a disease management tool. So when I, uh, my healthcare is divided across three hospital jurisdictions and 11 different specialists. And at the peak of everything, I found it well, I actually still find it really hard to keep everything together. So I went looking for like a personal assistant, um, something to help me manage my appointments, my medications, my medical expenses, my symptoms, my documents. You you go to any you know complex or chronic illness patient or caregiver of a medically fragile child or um, family member, and they will have some sort of organizational system that they use to keep help them keep everything together. I went looking for a technology to help me do that because my binder wasn't the most secure or uh, practical option. You know, you spill coffee on that and oh, there there goes everything. Um, and when I went looking for it, I couldn't find it, find it, um, something that did everything all in one. So uh, of course, you know, my, my poor husband and family, I just, I decided, well, I'm going to build it because I know I'm not the only one with this problem. You are such a rock star. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for really taking that and, you know, creating something so helpful for 
your community and others like it. Uh, it's fantastic. Adam, I'd love to hear your story next and how it's inspired the work you're doing today. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, thank you, Grace. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to come together so we can kind of put all of our different podcast brains together and really continue the conversation of bringing the rare disease community to the forefront. It was an honor to be with you all at the HITMIC conference and to be able to start some of these conversations. And I'm really excited to looking and looking forward to where things are heading from here. For me, the, you know, the kind of the, the inspiration behind all of this and the getting to this point started about four years ago. And at the time I was you know, pretty pretty healthy young guy, 35 years old, um, and that's when my symptoms started popping up out of seemingly nowhere. Um, I do kind of question and wonder how far back some of the different things that I've noticed along my 35 years before that might have played a factor, but that's really another one of the many guessing games that um, come with this territory. And I, so, yeah, so my symptoms started about four years ago. Three years ago, I finally got the diagnosis, so the journey wasn't quite as long as what it was for Christy, even though it felt like an absolute eternity for me. Um, about two years ago, I started in on social media and advocacy, basically trying to find community. I felt so isolated, so alone as a parent who was going through this and working through a rare disease diagnosis. How do I do this and where are my people? And I um, was really able to move forward with that once I found some community, some really helpful resources. And I was excited to finally be able to not feel so alone because it was just the worst feeling ever. And then about a year ago, I started my own podcast and started doing some speaking engagements similar to what we did at, at HITMIC. And it's been really a wonderful journey since then, even though it was incredibly arduous to get to that point. Um, because prior to all this rare disease healthcare, it wasn't on my radar at all. So, um, so in terms of my inspiration for what I call myself, I call myself a dadvocate. I'm a dad first and a rare disease advocate second. And in, in terms of the inspiration for that part, um, I would say my past work in the field of education, this is what I did. I used to seek people and help and educate as I could. I'm still doing that in a way. Others have helped me figure that out, though it's not what I went to school to learn about. Um, and then I, I, you know, I'm really trying to own my story through this process. And this this lady that's going to be introducing herself next, Effie Parks, really helped push me to that next level and helped me get to that point of sharing my story and owning that process. And I'm really thankful for her and all the support she's given me along the way as well. Thank you so much, Adam, for sharing your journey with us. And we're so happy that you're here with us today and willing to share your insights with us. Effie, I would love to hear your story as well now and um, just have you share with us what your journey has been with rare disease and how it has inspired the work you're doing today. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad to be back with you. I, um, I've been thinking a lot about our event and I'm glad that we're circling back on this conversation. Uh, you know, it took me 30 years to find the man I was looking for forever. He was hiding in a basement playing like imaginary pretend games. So I finally found him. Both of us had always only wanted to be parents and we got married and we were so excited and our first little baby was coming. Uh, you know, we had all of these ideas and all of these plans and all of these fictional expectations of what we think this person's going to be and how they're going to grow up. Uh, so we were super shocked when he was born, uh, super small. He wasn't eating. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't doing anything that uh, typically developing babies are doing. Uh, so for about four months, my husband and I took 
our child in to the doctor a couple times a week begging for help and telling people that something was wrong and that he just wasn't he wasn't eating right like he wasn't doing any of the things and we were brushed off for uh four months by doctors telling us we were just worried new parents and finally at one point they listened um and he was immediately admitted into a children's hospital for about a week where they ran all these tests and they used all these terms that I had never heard before. And thankfully, you know, we got that attention at four months old and a geneticist eventually came around and was intrigued by the way my son looked and thought he had a specific type of albinism. So she ordered a, a whole exome sequencing test. So they took samples from my husband and I and my child and about Eight months later, we got a diagnosis of a rare disorder called CTNNB1. The geneticist delivered that uh, diagnosis to us and told us that he was number 30 in the world with that diagnosis and that she didn't know anything about it, except that he probably would never walk or talk. And then we were sent on our way. So there's no plan of action that happens typically with most rare diseases. Um, you know, there's no research. There's no there's no nothing. There's no expert. Uh, you are just cast into the wind and the internet. And thank goodness for the internet. Uh, I found a lot of lifelines there, and I also found nothing at all. So after, I don't know, maybe two years of kind of trying to find answers and figure out what to do for my son and trying to navigate the healthcare system with no luck other than just beating down doors all the time and getting kicked down the stairs, I decided to kind of take things into my own hands and find my community actively. Um, so I started a podcast called Once Upon a Gene, uh, and I created it to tell my story and to hold a place for other people to do the same and build a community of like-minded people who were in this rare disease world who needed that connection and who wanted to lessen that isolation, but who also wanted to make this world better and figure out how best we can all help our kids in all aspects from school to the medical system. Uh, it's been the most fulfilling adventure ever. I meet people like you every single day, and I really feel like this has become a lighthouse for so many in the rare disease world, and I'm so proud of it uh, because it wasn't there six years ago when my son was born. So that's where I'm at now, and I couldn't be more grateful that I have the opportunity to do that. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, Effie. We're all so grateful for you and the work that you're doing with Once Upon a Gene and the amazing progress Ford is making every single day is so inspirational. Follow her on social media to see it. It's, it's truly an inspiration. Um, so I'd love to dive into now how the diagnostic odyssey adds color and commentary to uh, the healthcare and healthcare innovation landscape. Why is the rare experience so different from other patient and caregiver experiences? And why is it so important? It's different because uh, nobody's trained in this, right? Like the doctors in medical schools are taught this quip that we really have to change actually. But they're told, if you hear hoofbeats, think a horse, not a zebra. And so the rare disease community has been uh, has taken that and used that as our mascot now that we're zebras. But I really feel like maybe that script should be flipped because if you can't figure out your answer, maybe you should think about a zebra before 16 months, before seven years, before five years, before however long these odysseys take. Maybe it could lessen the time 
Um, within even just the last three years, I've seen such a rapid uh, awareness and also science in general catching up and really making genetic testing more affordable and more accessible for families. So my hope is that this odyssey will be lessened, the trauma will be lessened, the gaslighting will be lessened, uh, because we're finding out so much correlation between rare diseases and certain types of symptoms and illnesses now, right? And there's so many amazing people like Adam and Christy and so many others who are out there talking about it every single day. And there's so many people like you who are listening and showing up to make space to figure this out and to make the lives better for people living with chronic and rare diseases. Mm, so, so true. Adam, I would love to turn that to you too. How does this diagnostic odyssey really showcase what's actually going on? She hit the nail on the head there, as usual. For for me, I would I would think that you know when we're talking about why the rare experience is so different from other patients and other caregiver caregiver experiences, for, for me, I, I relate it back to pre rare disease life. Right, I would go to the doctor and I would expect an answer, and they would give me some kind of right solution, and then I'd move on with things, and it would get better, and I'd be back to life as I knew it, and I would be able to do that. Oftentimes, most times, every time in one visit. And with life and the rare disease, especially with that diagnostic odyssey, it is any but a one and done visit. I exhausted every local option that there is. I traveled almost 5,000 miles to three different states to multiple different specialists and universities to try to figure out what the heck was going on. And I was not getting any answers. And in, in fact, I had two incredibly negative heart wrenching experiences where the doctors looked me straight in the eye and told me it was all in my head and that I needed to get over it. And that was absolutely brutal. Um, I, I, I can't even begin to explain how difficult and challenging that was. The, the process then after I finally did get a diagnosis was not anything like what I was hoping for and expecting. There, I was told there's no treatment, there's no cure, and 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 then at that point, like we're left to become the experts. Like Effie was saying, we've got to go out there and dig in and find things on the internet and explore options that we don't think are there. When I'm told, hey, I'm going to start up on you know your disability paperwork, and the name of your game is to manage your symptoms of this progressive condition, it does really flip our lives upside down, like you said initially, Grace. So I, you know, it's a it's a really challenging and and tough thing in terms of how do we innovate and and move forward with this landscape. You know, I, I would say, like like you mentioned, Grace, we need to be heard. Our voices matter. Our experiences matter, and they need to be at the forefront. So let's come together and think: How do we elevate this? How do we innovate and shorten the diagnostic odyssey? And I think conversations like this can be a great jumping-off point. I'm excited to see, you know, where the continued hitmic disease collaborations continue and and other avenues as well. I think we're headed in the right direction. We should get going. Absolutely. Christy, I'd love to dive into this concept of the rare disease patient and caregiver as a true expert in healthcare, health IT, pharma life sciences, and what they can bring to the table. You know, what collaborations are the most common for rare disease patients and caregivers and care partners with healthcare technology and pharma? Um, which excite you the most? You know, what collaborations have you been involved with? And can you maybe share an experience from when the collaboration went really well, or maybe if it didn't go well, and, and why was that? Such a great question and, and one that I think is so important. And I feel like as an industry, we are kind of on the cusp of actually maybe being able to get it right. Um, I So to me, a, 
a good collaboration is when you have all of the all the required stakeholders at the table and everyone is treated with the same level of respect. So um, I think traditionally in healthcare, patients aren't at the table. Caregivers aren't at the table. Um, Adam talked a little bit about, you know, his, his journey um, prior to his diagnosis. You go into the doctor, you tell them what's wrong, and then they tell you what's happening. Well, what's different in the rare disease space is the the individuals, either the patients or the caregivers, are educating. We are the ones that know best what is happening with our bodies. We know our diseases inside and out. And so when you think across the um, the industry, whether or not it's a pharma manufacturer or a digital health tech company or a hospital system, if you're building a solution, you you wouldn't ever build that solution without the experts. And so not only are the patients and the caregivers the experts, but we're also teachers. Um, we are we're sharing insights, and and um, I think we are able to add some um, knowledge, I guess, for lack of a better term, to what has been taken. You know, people. The patient journey is talked about a lot, <laughs> and especially within um, manufacturers of of, of um, clinical trials or um, bringing treatments to market or um, healthcare systems that are providing care. They focus on the patient journey, but they don't actually ask the patient or the patients aren't involved. So to me, the best collaborations that I've been involved in are the ones that I have participated in from the actual beginning. So we we are co-creators of whatever, um, either if it's a research study or um, a tool, that collaboration I'm involved in from the very beginning. And it's not a, we're going to take you and use you for your story and your knowledge, and then we'll go off and we'll do the thing. Um, we are respected partners every step of the way and even post, you know, so the research is done a year from now, follow up with me and let me know, you know, where that has gone. Was it worthwhile? What have we learned? Those are really the best collaborations in my opinion um, that that I've been a part of. And, and, you know, the one thing that I would say, I don't want to talk about the ones that didn't go well, but um, learnings would be we are human beings. We are people. We have feelings. We are more than just a diagnosis. And so treat us accordingly. Don't just have us at your conference so that you can say, we've got a patient. We're patient-centric. Listen, we want to teach you. We want to learn from you. And we want to work together with you. I love that. And it's so true. You know, it does seem like they often have people come on and say as a token patient of sorts, when in fact, you know, we are some of the most important healthcare experts that you could possibly have. And so treating uh, patients as such is really critical and and paying patients for their time. I mean, if patients are coming and be keynoting your your conference, paying them for their time it, mm -hmm. and, and making sure that their, their needs are met truly. Um, and then closing that feedback loop, when you do learn something from a patient and you are including them in something, letting them know when something they said has changed something or impacted something. So it's not a one and done situation. It's something that is patients can 
can really see how their insights are are making an impact. Adam, I'd love to turn to you on this too. Um, what collaborations you've been involved with and learnings you've had from it. The fact that she's bringing up, we want to be a part of the process from the beginning all the way through the post, right? Like those are really incredibly important points to bring up and considerations to have. I, one particular partnership that I have in mind that was really helpful for me was being invited to be on a patient forum. Um, there's also been a couple of like patient education boards that I've been able to be a part of. And I really appreciated that opportunity for them to bring us in and to ask us questions and to really learn from our perspective. And when you've got a task that's you know at hand, everybody's on board, everybody wants to work together and move the needle forward. And we need to make sure that we keep in mind what's the focal point, right? What are we ultimately doing this for? And it's important to get that patient voice included no matter what the stage is. It's not too late if you haven't jumped in and involved us from the beginning. Like Christy was saying, that's ideal. But if you haven't yet, bring us in at any point in time. Let's do this and then let's fix that for next time and make an adjustment. We can provide considerations that you know organizations or or um, you know, pharmaceutical companies, any entity that you can think of in the healthcare field, we can provide those insights, those considerations that those organizations might not have, probably don't have. Um, and, and, you know, so being able to provide those insights and those opportunities on a variety of topics is incredibly important. And I felt really valued as a patient when I'm doing that. And some of those relationships have continued on. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll continue to do that as well, that we can have future opportunities to be involved from the get-go. It's fantastic, Adam. You know, I think it's really important for people to know that patients want to be, many patients want to be included and they want to offer their insights. So, you know, I think some people think, oh, I'm not going to reach out to them because they have too much going on. And, you know, I, I don't want to just burden them or whatever the like, but it's like, no, there's a lot of patients out there that have a lot of feelings and want to make the system better for other people. You know, they want to make things better for folks that are going through similar experiences and, you know, traumatizing diagnostic odysseys like they have and caregivers as well. Absolutely. And give us the opportunity to say no, right? Because right? there are times when we're tapped out and we don't have the energy, we don't have the resources and that's okay. It's one of the struggle points that I have is learning to say no. I'm getting better um, as we continue to go and, and move forward and all these different things are popping up. But yes, give us the opportunity to have that chance. And if we can't do it, odds are we're able to find somebody else that can and step in because our community is huge. It's mighty. It's strong. We've got so many wonderful advocates and patients and caregivers who are ready to step up to the plate. And there's many more out there that might not be ready just yet, but they could be in a very short amount of time. They might be feeling like they're ready to take some of the next steps in the advocacy world. And then even for those that aren't there yet, that's okay as well. We're, you know, that's part of the reason I'm trying to do what I'm going to do is to raise my voice so that it can in turn help other people as well. So yeah, give us the opportunity. Let us say no if we need to or need or want to. Yeah. Effie, I'd love to hear about some collaborations you've been involved with. I've heard a little bit about, you know, a recent uh, thing that's happened, little merger acquisition that has happened and things that you've been involved with. And I just like love for our audience to hear more about those cool collaborations. Every single thing that has happened since I've started advocating in rare disease has been an amazing collaboration. Um, I'm not going to speak on the one you just mentioned since we're here. I'm actually going to speak on you and John Lynn. Uh, a couple years ago, I was in Boston for the 
for this amazing event where the podcast won an award. And I met some random guy at the event. His name was Dennis Daly. Hi, Dennis. And so he came up to me afterwards and he said, you have to come to my party. I'm a journalist. I'm having an awards show tonight and you have to come to my party. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I went to this party. I knew nobody. It was a beautiful, fancy event overlooking the water. And all of you were there. All of you beautiful healthcare tech journalists were just there. And I inserted myself in it and all of you wrapped your arms around me. You introduced yourselves to me. We became friends that night. Uh, Afterwards, I was on your Hit Like a Girl podcast. I was on John's podcast. And it never ended there. You both kept like approaching me and really genuinely wanting to know about my life and about rare disease and about how you could help in your industry. Uh, I texted John before the Global Genes Patient Advocacy Summit last fall and said, hey, John, just so you know, biggest world's rare disease conference is here in San Diego if you want to come. He came, okay? He came, he filmed, he interviewed Christy, he interviewed Ryan, he sat in the audience and he listened to the stories. And then we go to the HitMic event. So the collaboration just by people listening, like truly listening and being curious and caring about other people is why I'm here talking to you today. And it's why I feel like rare disease has become such a hot topic in your industry is just because of people who are genuinely caring about others. So that's my current favorite one right now. Well, I'm thrilled that's your favorite one because that is absolutely John and my favorite one as well. And the healthcare, you know, innovation industry, we are all very connected and very mission driven. And I think that once we met you and Adam and Christy and we got to hear your stories, it's really sparked a flame in this industry that things have to change. And what are, what are we even doing if everyone doesn't join together and make that? change a reality. So it's truly inspiring to to hear about just collaborations that are going on and things that are going well and how we can all learn and grow together. I would love to talk now about how the HITMIC, the healthcare marketing community, can better incorporate the rare disease patient and caregiver voice into the work they do each day. You know, when they are telling patient stories, what should they think about? What considerations should they keep in mind? Um, what can they do better? Uh, and Effie, I'd love for you to start you know it could be the smallest bit of just sharing our content right like those of us who are constantly tweeting about it or sharing blogs like adam and christy and myself and others sharing our content reading our content coming to our conferences like i mentioned that john did and really like being a part of the community dipping into our podcasts listening to our stories that way passively even you know um but really making an effort to understand this forgotten orphaned demographic that nobody has anything to do with. Um, I think it goes a long way. And Adam mentioned earlier, there's there's events that you can hold even online that doesn't put too much pressure on you and your company where perhaps you invite a patient and a caregiver for a lunch and learn, right? And everybody just listens and asks questions and kind of you can do this sort of badminton together and like figure out a way to collaborate. Um, I would also think about this as a barrier. I would I would want you to always think about rare disease as an extreme DEI issue. Um, when you're dealing with an with a my chart question, I see a lot of I see a lot of like EHR stuff on Twitter from uh, your industry. What about 
the rare disease community whose stuff doesn't even fit into that and whose doctors don't even communicate and like think about the barriers that rare disease patients face when like Christy even mentioned how many opinions did she have to get to get that answer that's so common it's not unique right and most people most people who don't have a rare disorder even maybe won't even go for that second opinion but they're probably definitely not going for the third but a rare disease patient will go as many times as till someone finally listens to them so i would just say help us kind of close those gaps and make us witness what what we're going through and make us feel seen and help us kind of get that exposure because y'all are so good at that of that advice uh christy i'd love to pass this one on to you as well you know how can the industry better incorporate the rare disease voice you know how do you move industries forward it's stories we're either looking at historical uh, incidents that have happened and trying to learn and do better and grow from those, um, or we are listening to stories and then making connections. So within the rare space, because our stories are so unique and not as widely told, the more people that hear them, the more likely it is that you know someone down the line might find an answer. Because, oh, I heard this podcast a year ago and, you know, what you're describing sounds a lot like X. Um, holding space for the rare disease patients and caregivers to share their stories in, in a safe way, um, I think, is the most valuable gift um, that, that anyone um, can give. Um, I think that... The rare disease community is unlike any other one I've ever been a part of. We will go to the ends of the earth to help each other, to help move science forward, to, um, to you know, just to advocate for those around us. It doesn't matter that we don't share the same diagnosis. We do share a connection of being a part of a community that is under-resourced and overlooked. And what I've seen happen, the like, I have met people who have done more um, than I have I would ever even dream is possible. You know, patients that are um, trying desperately to remain alive and to find treatment have helped commercialize drugs into countries. Those stories are so inspiring and you never know who's going to need to hear them. I, I, you know, I hop into Effie's podcasts anytime I need some inspiration or I want to keep going. I connect with Adam anytime I'm struggling um, to figure out how I'm going to parent my kids when I can't get myself out of bed. <laughs> um, Adam had... Uh, Built a, built a space for me as a rare parent. Effie has built a space for the rare disease community to hear other stories and, and share learnings. The community aspect of rare disease is so critical to moving forward the rare disease, disease movement. And in fact, healthcare marketers can learn a lot 
from what rare disease is doing right in this space. Adam, I want to throw this to you. You know, what are particular things that the HITMIC community can really glean from what the rare disease community is doing in this amazing community building that it's doing through podcasting, through um, Facebook, even finding treatments and diagnoses through Facebook groups and other really critical ways to connect online? You know, what can we learn? I think it's a wonderful opportunity for collaboration for all of us. And one thing that I really took away from being at the HITMIC conference was the opportunity for me to learn from you all as well. And I feel like it really is going to be an incredible partnership as we continue to move forward. I, I think that when we highlight some of the you know, real accomplishments and successes of the rare disease community at large, it does start with what Effie and Christy were saying, and that's the story. And it doesn't end there either, right? So it's a matter of what do we do with this information? What do we do with these stories? They matter. And then how do we leverage those in a good positive way? Not for a, how do I make this help me only? What does this do for the entire community at large? Um, I, I would say that an example that I've been fortunate to experience recently was a part of my podcast. I was able to have my palliative care team. I've just started seeing and added to my ever-expanding medical team, um, I was able to to have them uh, join me on my Parents is Rare podcast to discuss some of the misconceptions that are out there, some of the information that people aren't quite aware of or that they have confused or mixed up. Honestly, before I went into there, I was scared, even though folks like Effie, you know, uh, Becky in the, in the community, they would just share with me and say, hey, everybody needs palliative on their team, but there's this negative connotation to it, this scary, dark place. And I was so glad that I finally did go and do that and, and join in on those appointments. As I'm sit and as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking this information would be so helpful. This process would be so helpful for everybody in the community. So luckily, Kim and Michelle agreed to join me on the pod. We shared that out with the community. It was uh, the episode from last month. And one next step that was taken, right? So that was the story. That was the information I received an email a couple of days after that uh, podcast was released, Grace, and it was the information being shared to me was, hey, this podcast was great. Uh, Kim and Michelle really enjoyed the process, and they were then sharing it with their friends who were in the university setting, working with the social work and healthcare courses at a local university. And now that podcast is going to be some required listening for them to gain perspective, to gain some insight. So it's it's expanding on a local scene, which will then in turn help on a national scene. I, I'm also working right now um, in the beginning stages of like a multidisciplinary mitochondrial disease resource list with some of the segmented folks in the community who are in different institutions. Kind of like Christy was saying, we need a place where we can hold all of our information and the hope with this particular next step for community building is how can we provide resources to people uh, on, a, on a local level here to help point them in the right direction. Who do they go to for support? Who do they go to for their neurologic needs? Who do they go to for their cardio needs? There are a few people that are in the loop on that. And now we're trying to work together to bring all those to the forefront. So I think for the HITMIC community, how can we leverage some of those strategies, whether it's a national level collaboration or a more like grassroots local type collaboration and move the needle forward um, together? Because like, like we've talked about, our, our stories matter. They're incredibly important. We want to use those stories to make some next steps, to take some next steps. And I'm, I mean, I'm really pumped about the opportunity for HITMIC and rare disease to work together. Like we're, we're ready. Let's go. I'm ready, Grace. <laughs> 
really exciting and cool to see, you know, how many different ways the community can uh, amplify what's going on in the rare disease community and learn from it as well. Uh, I'd like to encourage our listeners to take one actionable step this month to empower the rare disease voice and story in some way. To finish this conversation off right, I'd love for our listeners to know where to find you guys online. Let's start with Effie. The podcast is called Once Upon a Gene. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts, onceuponagene.com. That's me. That's where I'm at. That's all I'm going to leave it at. You can find me on any social media platform. Awesome. How about you, Adam? Grace, I uh, I think a great resource for me that I've kind of tried to build into my hub is rarediseasedad.com. And that's where I house my blogs, my um, podcast series, Parents as Rare. You can follow that podcast series through uh, MitoAction, their social media handles, um, and they will link up to their Energy in Action podcast. And then you can follow me at Rare Disease Dad on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not on all the social media platforms. Effie's tried to get me onto TikTok. So I'm not there yet at her level. Maybe I'll aspire to that at some point in time. But yeah, Twitter, Instagram, and rarediseasedad.com. Check it out. Thanks, Adam. And how about you, Christy? Uh, I am um, simply Christy D or chronically simple um, on, and I, I'm laughing because I'm also trying to get on TikTok. Effie, you're going to have to just do, you're, I'm, we're going to need like a masterclass. Um, but Twitter and Instagram, our podcast is Simply Unbreakable and you can listen to that wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Um, yeah, that's me. Great. And you guys can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. My Twitter handle is High Tea with Grace. I would love to connect with you. And if you're hoping to include the patient voice in some way, and you just don't know how to do it or how to do it the right way, happy to connect with you and inspire you and encourage you to just do it. Just move forward because these stories are so impactful, so important, and uh, so critical for us to truly amplify what real patient-centered care can look like in the future. Let's think about how you can amplify the rare disease patient and caregiver voice today. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you. 